We talk a lot on this podcast about chess improvement, but when it comes to improving your hiring processes, Indeed is the platform you need. Indeed has over 350 million global monthly visitors, and it has a matching engine that helps you find quality work candidates fast. You can use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with your candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree that Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. Years ago, when I was running a chess teaching business, I found it hard to find good help, and I had to go through a lot of back and forth to even screen potential candidates. Indeed allows you to do those things efficiently in one place. Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed for hiring, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of Perpetual Chess will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility if you go to Indeed.com slash chess. Just go to Indeed.com slash chess right now, and you'll be supporting our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast, Indeed.com slash chess. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Hello, everyone. I am Ben Johnson, and this is the Perpetual Chess Podcast. Perpetual Chess is a weekly chess interview show with accomplished chess players, authors, personalities, and adult improvers where they discuss their lives, their careers, and share tips about how to improve at chess. For more information, go to PerpetualChessPod.com. So without further ado... Let's get to the show. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another special edition, World Championship edition of Perpetual Chess. Uh, First of all, I want to welcome any new listeners. It looks like a lot of people have been tuning in for the World Championship. So if this is your first time discovering this podcast, just wanted to give a couple quick notes. Uh, We are a weekly and sometimes more long-form chess interview show. Generally, we've interviewed world champions like Viswanathan Anand and Alexandra Kostyanyuk, content creators like Levi Rosman, a.k.a. Gotham Chess. And Daniel Naroditsky and authors like GM Jakob Agard, Bruce Pandolfini. If you're more into chess improvement, you can check out our adult improvement series uh, where accomplished amateurs share study tips. We even do book reviews once a month or so. We've got one coming soon. But of course, this episode is about the World Championship, and we are joined by a friend of mine who is joining us from Dubai. He has been omnipresent in the chess.com coverage. You can often see him flagging people down, especially Jan Nepomnici, um, after the games and then asking 
good questions during the press conferences. He was the 2012 Chess Journalist of the Year. He is also known as Fun Master Mike, as the lead content creator um, for ChessKid.com. Uh, he's a FIDE master. He was a scholastic champion. He's a globetrotter, and he is being very gracious to join us while he's super busy covering this event. So, Mike Klein, what's going on? Oh, that was just about the best intro I could imagine. Just got done with round five, and uh, I'm eager to join. I haven't been on your show in a couple of years. I thought I was getting the cold shoulder, but uh, you actually named some pretty hefty guests. I can see why I was uh, relegated to episode 200 and whatever we're at now. <laughs> yeah, no, it's nothing personal. And actually, with return guests, I'm always, unless I, they explicitly say they're happy to do it anytime, I never, I'm always a little trepidatious about asking people. I, you know, I feel like once you've asked them once, you're not sure, like, uh, should you keep going or not? And anyway, anyone who did not hear our first interview with Mike, it's episode 85 from 2018. So if you want to know a lot more about Mike's background and our history as uh, roommates in Brooklyn in like 2003 or something, man, we're getting old uh you can you can hear all about that but back to the world championship so before mike and i start discussing it i'm going to just do a quick break breakdown of what has happened so far um you guys hopefully heard the breakdown from the first bonus pod uh but games one to three were draws as i discussed in that pod and guess what Games four and five were draws too. So we're tied after five games. Just to tell you briefly about the games that took place in the last two days. In game four, Magnus switched it up to one E4 and uh, Jan Nepomnici uh, encountered with the Petrov defense, the Russian defense, which is sort of a symmetrical opening. So it can, uh, it's known as a very solid, some might say sort of dull opening, a bit surprising Mildly surprising for a swashbuckling player like Nepo, although he did play it in the candidates. Um, Magnus in that game seemed to hope to catch Nepo unprepared with his move 18, knight h4. Um, it, it seemed like he was um, relying on some complications that he found in a line and certain lines that Nepo could go into. Um, but you could call it bad luck. Nepo hinted that he had looked at this move himself, even though it was kind of a new move. So Nepo kind of... Uh, effortlessly steered it towards calmer waters. And Magnus's quote about that game was, I tried something concrete and it didn't work, but that's a normal result. I didn't expect him to have missed this line completely, but in some other iterations, there can be a lot of difficult decisions to make for black. This is the state of modern chess. Uh, on to game five, which happened hours ago as Mike and I sit here. Um, it was a similar story with reversed colors. Uh, this time Magnus is black uh, um, for the as they have with all their black games. It was a Roy Lopez. It looked like Magnus was steering towards a marshal. Jan Nepomuchi avoided the main line of the marshal, so it's what's called an anti-marshal type opening. And Magnus played another unpopular move. He's looking for these sort of less popular moves within um, solid lines, it seems. Um, he got a lifeless position where uh, Viswanathan Anand on the FIDE broadcast said he is clearly slightly worse, which, uh, you know, a little bit of... Um, um, What's the word? A, a fancy way of saying that it's very clear that he's slightly worse. Um, and Jan didn't maximize his chances, and uh, Magnus defended brilliantly, brilliantly and made it look somewhat effortless, and the game fizzled out to a draw. So the three narratives to update from the, pre the previous uh, uh, rundown are the same, but in a different order. So I would say the prevailing narrative, the thing I'm seeing people talk about more are the draws. Obviously, we're five games in. There have been nothing but draws. A lot of grumbling. I personally am not a grumbler, and Mike and I will be talking about this in a minute. But to me, that's like the biggest story now. Um, number two is, as 
to me now is I mentioned that Nepo was playing amazing after the first three games, but I kind of uh, highlighted Magnus's prep. But I would say Nepo's prep has been incredible the last two games because Magnus is trying to surprise him. Magnus is going for these offbeat lines. And Nepo, I mean, it's like there's a mole in the camp or something. He's ready for everything and just uh, blitzes it out and always seems to be playing from a position of strength. Um, And the number three storyline is still uh, Magnus also is showing good prep. Um, and he's using a different approach. He played E4 as opposed to D4 in his last white. So you could say he's probing with white. He's kind of He seems to have sort of a long view where he's looking for some sort of chink in the armor, and he certainly didn't find it in the Petrov. So when they come back, he'll have white, and it wouldn't surprise me if he plays something other than E4 again. Um, so uh, one more quote before I welcome Mike back in, Viswanathan Anand on the, on the um, broadcast again, said he still thinks someone will break through, but he does admit that if it drags on like this for a while longer, they might start to even buckle down more as it gets clo- as the stakes of the cost of losing becomes higher. Um, so, Mike, sorry to keep you sitting there, but I just wanted to make sure everyone was caught up. Um, what are your impressions of the match so far? Well, uh, yeah, I guess the question is, should we be disappointed or not? Uh, it's maybe a little different watching at home versus being on site. Being on site, there's always little storylines going on, little things to capture your attention. I could imagine sitting at home, you might be a little bit disappointed, but I will say it's kind of an incredible time to be observing this results independent. You can listen to, you know, the silky dulcitones of Vichy. You can listen to Anish uh, grandstanding and being bombastic or, you know, actually just being witty. I I, I can't listen to everybody's uh, Anish. I don't, I don't actually know how you're acting. I'm just kind of assuming you're being very witty and everything. And then, then Judah is a nice foil uh, because she's from the non-computer era. And, and on our own show, we got guys sitting on couches. We got we got Robert Hess selling merch. Uh, and uh, Fabiano learned some four-letter words. Um, <laughs> and uh, yeah, it's actually, it's actually quite a riot. Um, so, and, you know, within each game, there are these little mini opportunities. And, you know, do, do you appreciate, somebody asked me today, because the Norwegian journalists love to interview me, um, uh, you know, has this been like a quality match? And I'm like, well, it depends on what you mean. Like, but accuracy of moves, yes. But quality in terms of interesting or excitement, I don't, I don't know. Like, if a football match ends zero zero, the goalkeepers have a great game. Do you call that quality? Personally, I would. I'm a goalkeeper, but um, I, you know, we're also barely one third of the way in. So, uh, but I, I am. I want to say, Ben, I am starting to hear some people say that they actually think it's a very real possibility it will be all draws, which. I don't know. I mean, you're 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 a guy who used to play odds for a living. Um, in each individual game, I get it, but nine more games at the time of this recording, I don't know. I think I heard Anish say it on the air, and I will tell you that MVL is here as a tourist, and he said in a private conversation yesterday he thinks there's a very real chance as well. Uh, so that's not good. But uh, anyway, that's that's the story from Dubai. Yeah. Well, first of all, shout out to MVL also has been on the podcast for any new listeners. Um, And yeah, it's, uh, you know, it is what it is, as they say. I mean, they're playing, as you say, so accurate. Nepo in uh, game four said he wasn't sure, but might have had the whole game in his notes. So, I mean, first of all, these guys are geniuses to begin with. But then the fact that they're, they're not really managing to surprise each other means that, like, they're able to just reel off so many engine moves, which also shortens the game and diminishes the chances of a mistake when they do have to think for themselves um, because they were able to play quickly earlier. So, 
Yeah, I mean, I can't, I don't remember what uh, Ty Bruce Zimmerman, uh, shout out to him, who did uh, preview number two with me of a Chess by the Numbers blog. He actually updates the probabilities of a draw, although I think he might go with the sort of base rate of a draw as compared to sort of the world championship rate of a draw. But in any event, I'm sure statistically it's still under 10%, I would guess. But obviously watching, it doesn't feel that way, especially given the trend of the last couple games and especially uh, to throw in some some anecdotes again referring to what uh, Viswanathan Anand it does make sense to me that like they could start to kind of try to take the air out of the ball as it gets to a few games from tiebreak so it's a concern um, but it's the state of modern chess I mean I, I feel like we first Mike have to address like people complaining about it. I see some people uh, criticizing Fide. Now, I am not like a diehard Fide defender by any means, but they decreased the number of rest days and they got rid of increments uh, heading into this match as compared to prior ones. And to me, those are steps in the right direction. There are a lot of people who are big advocates for slow classical uh, world championships. So there would be a, a lot of uh, consternation if they did anything more drastic. So to me, they made a step in the right direction. They're, you know, um, kind of swimming with the tide, at least. It's just, uh, you know, um, Anish Giri had a funny line in um, an article. There was an article about Nepo's supercomputer that he's been using in consultation with like a Russian university. Um, and of course, this this ended up being a bit of a story. I believe that uh, Chess.com's Peter Doggers ended up picking it up after uh, Martin from uh, Say Chess wrote about it. Shout out to Martin. Um, and Nepo, Nepo, I mean, uh, sorry, Anish tweeted like, you know, newsflash, this super engine still still says zero, 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 meaning chess is still a draw. And these are the best players in the world. So, I mean, Mike, I don't feel like... Uh, you know, everyone has a different opinion, but to you, are these games like dull and do you think this needs to be changed or is it too early to even be having these conversations? I think it's too early. Uh, you know, talk to me when we get to round 12 or 13 and they start actually affecting their their style of play because they're just trying to get to the finish without making a mistake. Um, but I, I have found it fascinating and I asked Magnus this a couple of days ago. It has absolutely been a through line in his career that he wants to do things to make the world championship more exciting, even if it significantly decreases his chances of keeping the title. I don't even think he's against a March Madness type single elimination tournament, uh, which would massively decrease his chances of keeping the title. So he's always been on the side of more sport, less science. And at some point, you cannot ignore the fact that the world champion is advocating for something more exciting. And it may just be that he's personally bored, this being his fifth classical world championship. Um, now, I got some pushback the other day when I defended somebody on Twitter saying we should have the rapid tie break first. This is not a novel idea, certainly not my idea. But that way we guarantee some fast chess and we go into the classical with somebody already having draw odds. I, I don't really see a negative to it. I don't know why anybody would push back on this. You're you're just setting the tie break over the board and you're having, I mean, imagine, wouldn't it be exciting right now if we knew who would win in case of a 7-7 tie? Tell me that would not be more exciting. Walk me down that road, you know? Um, that seems like the simplest way to add spice to this without really greatly affecting the fact that it's still going to be classical chess. 
Yeah, Vladimir Kramnik was the first person I heard suggest that idea. And I know that Hikaru, in a post-game interview he did on Chess.com the other day, also echoed that it might be time to move in that direction. I mean, I'm fairly progressive on this stuff. I am. I do love the sort of, I love the classical chess world championship cycle, despite generally being in favor of faster games. So um, something like that to me strikes me as a happy medium. But as you say, you got pushed back on Twitter. I know there are a lot of uh, dyed-in-the-wool chess fans uh, who... Um, who wouldn't be happy with a change like that. But as you say, like Magnus's opinion should matter. Now, some might say that because he's amazing at faster time controls as well, that that sort of uh, frames his perspective. But um, but I'm not sure. And in any event, I mean, a, a couple people have made some some good analogies online. I mean, as even Magnus in the press conference today, as he said, like with every draw, the tension mounts. So to me, there's there's going to be another you know, there's going to be another big opportunity for one of the players, even if the games end in draws. I don't think they're all going to be lifeless. I especially think that uh, it seems like Nepo might just try to keep hammering on this Roy Lopez line, and I'm not sure if Magnus is going to crack. Um, Whereas Mag- Magnus, I still feel like he's in probe mode, maybe probably for at least two more whites. And, you know, he, he might find something or he might overstep. So uh, we'll see. Um, we'll, should be interesting. Um, so, Mike, this is what your third world championship attended. How many have you been to? It's probably more uh, than that, actually. Uh, well, it's by fourth, although my first was in Sochi 2014. And to be fair, I did arrive about halfway uh, swapping out with Peter Doggers. Um Although I will, I will say now I'm almost 99% chess kid. So re- going as a journalist, again, is, it's like a perk of the job. Um, it literally, I've gotten to the point in the company, thankfully, they treat me very well, where I'm like, I, I'm, I'm sending myself to the world championship. And they're like, okay, yeah, that's, that seems about right. <laughs> but uh, Peter Doggers is also on the road a little bit less. And it actually works out great because I can produce all the on-site content while Peter uh, is a, you know several time zones uh, more favorable, that is to say, several time zones behind Dubai, who uh, can write the written report and not be up until midnight, which is always one of the most annoying things is writing a long report after a long day of reporting. Um, so it's a nice one-two combo we've got. Uh, and of course, we've got this awesome live broadcast. So uh, yeah, it's um, it started out very, uh, how shall I put this, intimate. Uh, the Sochi will probably always be my favorite world championship simply because it was November, it was the off-season, Nobody was going for warm weather. There wasn't snow yet for snow sports. So the hotel was empty. And uh, Magnus and Vichy were both staying at the same hotel. Don't think that's happened in the last couple world championships. And Magnus would come down at night and, you know, play Blitz. And I don't know if he had a drink. I don't remember. Probably not. But he would just kind of hang out in the middle of the world championship. And then on the off days, he needs warm bodies to play football, soccer, uh, and basketball against. And who was there? Just the journalists. So we had this understood agreement that after, you know, three, four hours of playing sports, that we would put the ball down, we would pick up our cameras and our notepads, and he would have to reciprocate by giving us interviews. So those are those the halcyon days of uh, world championships. Uh, but luckily this year, I'm getting a little bit of extra access. Um, and I'm able to go behind the stage for the very first time. And I get a very regulated amount of time with Nepom Nishi. Um, it's all very contractual, all very uh, regulated, but uh, but to his credit, Nepom Nishi has been fantastic in those interviews, very effusive, happy to do it. And uh, yeah, it's kind of a privilege getting the sort of the first crack at the players. 
Yeah, and Nepo, of course, signed a deal with uh, Chess.com. I'm sure not entirely coincidentally in terms of uh, the access that you mentioned, but I've really enjoyed those press conferences. Yeah, and it does it does always sort of feel like, you know, two and a half minutes in, it's thanks for your time. So it's like, good question, good insight, good question, good insight, goodbye. But there's, um, a, yeah, there's actually a, a Russian media outlet that also gets a very tightly regulated amount of seconds with him, and I do mean seconds. And uh, I actually ask her... Um, to grab me by the shoulder when I've reached my allotted time limit because you lose conception of time when you're talking. And sometimes you've got three great questions and you ask your first one and, and Jan is so excited. He, you know, you, all your time is spent listening to Jan's response. And I'm trying to ask him questions that don't allow him to, re- to have a long recitation of moves. But I'm also the very first person to ask him questions after the game. And sometimes he sort of can't help itself. And I, I have noticed a couple of times he, he recites this very long string of variations. And then he like, he kind of looks at me. He's like, in a way of saying like, did you get all that? You're only in <laughs> right, yeah. Did you get all that? And in my mind, I'm not actually listening so much to what he's saying. I'm just waiting for a pause so I can get my next question in. Yeah, it was funny to see at one of the press conferences, Hans Niemann was there from Chessable. And of course, being like a young, on the come up, super strong grandmaster, he starts asking them questions about their opening choices. And pretty soon they're like doing a blindfold postmortem. And uh, I definitely agree that uh, that that's to be avoided if uh, if possible. Um, but but, you know, that's the way these guys minds work. They're they're just uh, they're just uh, on another level. Um so, Mike, I've got some, some some more sort of meta questions. You know, this uh, this being uh, audio only, and there being so much great visual coverage of the match, uh, I feel like th- there's only a bit more we can say about like sort of you know the big picture, what's going on with the match, uh, what to expect, and then after that, we're going to take a break and and get back to what you were talking about of sort of what it's like being a journalist there. And we've got some great Twitter questions for you. But in terms of the chess, with uh, when they come back for three games Friday. Do you do you have anything you expect to see? Dare you make any opening or result type predictions? Yeah, that's always the hardest question because if anybody asks you what's the result of a single game, you would clearly have negative EV to say anything except draw. I'm trying to borrow a page of your old career. Um, and, uh, you know, this is the question that the Norwegian journalist asks ask me a lot too. I, I do think that we will continue to see the pattern that Magnus will, will try a, com- a completely new opening uh, whereas, you know, Nyan seems consistent, insistent on plugging away at different types of, of Re Lopez's. Um, I don't think we'll see another Catalan, and I don't think we'll see another repeat of round four, um, where he plays the, the D4 line in the Petrov, but I don't know what he has prepared. I did interestingly ask Magnus a couple of rounds ago, um, and this is, this is a public question, so some of your listeners may have heard this, um, how much are you hands-on with the in-match tweaks to your opening prep, or how much do you just trust the advice of your seconds? And he was very cagey in his response. He didn't even want to reveal that. Um, I, I kind of have to think he's hands-on, though. I mean, I I just don't see a scenario where Peter Heine says, okay, today we're going to do this. And he's like, yeah, okay, I'll, uh, you know. Uh, I, I, I can't see that, that road being uh, taken by him. So, um, yeah, uh, another draw, Ben, but I, I don't know how we'll get to that draw. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I did catch that question. Yeah, and he did say, he did concede at the end. He said, like, ultimately the decision rests up to me. Um, yeah, and in terms of opening, now that he 
suspects slash knows that, you know, the Petrov is likely to be Nepo's main line. I definitely, as you say, he's not, I don't think he's going to try the line he did last time again. Maybe he'll try five nights C3, or as you said, he might switch to something different entirely, um, like an English or a Queen's Gambit declined or whatever it might be. But I do, I look forward to the, the con- continued variety in openings. And I'm, you know, I definitely wouldn't expect him to try the exact same line that he did last time. So, so we will see. Um, and yeah, and then, of course, then it's back to black and we'll see what happens uh, in these Roy Lopez's. I mean, it does feel like it's been a little close for comfort for Magnus with black. Like he is holding um, and he, you know, again, it was to me, to my mind, impressive. Um, you know, Mike, you're there covering it. So I know you're hopping in on watching broadcast when you can, but it's probably not the same as for me sitting at home, uh, really able to focus on them and switch around. And, you know, there was a moment late in uh, game five today where like I switched to Anand and he sounds quite concerned about Magnus's position. Um, switch to Yudit and she says it's like a 50% chance White will win. Meanwhile, I'm staring at Cess, the uh, one of the strongest engines in the world that you can watch in real time, and it's all zeros, of course. And Magnus has started blitzing out the moves. Um, and as he said in the uh, the press conference, it la- you know, this later became clear. He said he visualized a fortress, and like once he had it, he had it. And a little later, when I switched to Anish Giri, he kind of made the same insight where Magnus sort of sees it now. But anyway, to my mind, it was quite an impressive defense, but still, it's uh, it's early enough in the match where I'm slightly hard-pressed to believe he just wants to have zero chances. Like Magnus himself said in today's press conference, um, he he felt like the last two moves he made of the game where he finally got his rook down the open A file were like the only moves that could be considered active. He only had a couple pieces cross the fifth rank, cross midfield. So maybe he'll switch it up. We'll see. But um, anyway, in a minute, Mike, we're going to take a break and hear from our sponsors. Do you have anything to add on sort of the actual match strategy before we get to uh, to what it's like over there in Dubai? Uh, no, I probably have a little bit more insight into like, you know, what it's like to be here than anything that your viewers can't already see. But, uh, I will say that, uh, one interesting, uh, thought, uh, that I had today is that Magnus is enjoying the press conferences a lot more than usual. Uh, today, Nepomnishi was the most down of any day that he's, that he's had here so far. Um, Magnus has even sort of complimented the press on, on good questions. Uh, some of the ones you've already talked about, perhaps notwithstanding, but, uh, <laughs> I mean, there, there's good questions, but there's clearly some people that step to the microphone because they, they want to be heard. Um, and uh, not, not, it's actually not as bad as in past years where the fans are in the same place as the media. Uh, we'll talk about that in a minute, perhaps. But um, uh, I, I actually think that in some ways Magnus is enjoying this experience a little bit. He's Usually when he comes to a press conference and he's down, he remains down the entire press conference. And somehow he's always ended the press conference a little bit more upbeat and jovial. And today he almost felt like he was a little a little sly guy by avoiding this C4 move that would have given Nepomnishi some chances. And um, you know he wasn't happy with his play, but he, I think he kind of felt like he maybe got away with one today. Whereas Nepo admitted pretty much to me that this was his biggest chance of the of the match. The game to uh, exchange up position was not that easy for him, he said. So um, anyway, uh, when it comes to the chess, uh, that's, you know, I, I can't add a whole lot that Cess won't overrule me on. Right. <laughs> um, but yeah, they're, they're playing very close. They're, they're Cess-like uh, uh, so far. 
Yeah, and just just a final note, I did find it super interesting the the point you highlighted about Nepo saying that he felt like today was a better chance than game 2 because yeah, Cess was a uh, was like plus 1.8 or something and I apologize for being a slave to the uh to the engine, but I just can't help myself when I'm sitting watching at home and I do try to form my own thoughts and listen to the uh, super GMs uh sharing theirs as well, but I can't I can't not look. Um, so on that note, we're going to take a break and hear from our sponsors. I do want to mention these bonus pods would not be possible without the support of the Blue Wire Podcast Network, which has tons of great sort of sports and lifestyle podcasts. Proud to be affiliated with them. And special shout out to all the uh, Patreon and PayPal supporters of Perpetual Chess who also make it easier for me to stop everything I'm doing and buckle down for the World Championship. Although, let's face it, I would be doing this anyway. Um, so on that note, we're going to take a break and we will be right back. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anytime anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses so join me in the fun sign up now at chumbacasino.com no purchase necessary btw void were prohibited by law see terms and conditions 18 plus all right and we are back and we've got a few questions to dive into from twitter that actually do sort of uh fit into what we were discussing about the perspective mike's able to offer joining us live from dubai um so first question is from Garudapora. I hope I said that right, Garudapora, at Garudapora 2, to be precise. He says, as a spectator who's not been present the actual event for the last two World Championship matches, I feel like the last match had more drama and excitement surrounding it, even when the audience wasn't as big as it is now. What's your take on the comparison of these two matches? Well, first of all, I believe I've flown Garuda. Isn't that the National Airline of Indonesia? Uh, but anyway... <laughs> I digress. Uh, what was the question again? I was so interested in getting my joke in there. <laughs> um, was the last match, did it? Did people seem more excited for the last world championship match in London between Caruana and Carlson? Uh, well, it was a more, uh, it was a smaller building. And, and remember, they're, they're fundamentally different settings. Uh, in London, we were in what I remember to be a pretty posh neighborhood and they had, they had, you know, decked out the building just for the world championship and everybody that was in that building was there for chess and it got tight at times as far as space accommodations um now we are a small fish in a big pond i mean the expo is like it's like we can speak like adults here right it's like epcot center on crack um <laughs> uh, epcot center has like eight or nine country pavilions there's 190 countries here many of them with bespoke pavilions befitting whatever their national you know, uh, identity is. So Norway's is a giant Viking ship, as you could imagine. Um, and we're just like this little event that I would say almost nobody at the expo even knows about. Um, so are people more excited? Well, a lot of people that are milling about don't know how the pieces move because they're, you know, they're just there for the expo or, or whatever. Um, so London felt more like a chess fans paradise 
But this is a cooler event to come to if you want more to do. I mean, okay, you've got a five-hour Rook and Pawn End game coming up. Just go hang out at the Swedish Expo and have some, you know, lingonberry pancakes. I mean, you can literally just go and, you know, be a part of uh, all this culture that has nothing to do with the chess event. So I think this fits my style better. In fact, I've been arriving several hours early each day, dropping my bag in the media room and going and just like walking into the different countries. And some of them serve food. There's music everywhere. Um, and it's just really neat. I mean, I know I'm pretty well traveled, but, uh, you can kind of experience so many cultures without getting on another plane once you get here. So um, I could say a lot about what I don't like about Dubai. I don't know how much time you have about that, but <laughs> the uh, the expo itself, it's it's pretty cool. Now, is it a waste of resources? Yeah, they're going to tear down a lot of it after it's over. Yeah, they they call themselves sustainable. I mean, okay, we could start on a rant here. You, you and Corbla, such uh, such tree huggers. Who knew? Yeah, we well, said I could the go, same thing. I could go Dennis Miller really quick here. <laughs> I don't want to get off on a rant here, but uh, <laughs> yeah, I could do that that pretty well. And uh, you know, I I, sh I should mention uh, this is this is a police state, um, and we as a media, I've had several instances where the long arm of the security apparatus has come and wanted to see some meaningless sticker on a microphone, or wanted to know who I am, or this or that. Um, and I, I do want to say, since I'm never going to frankly come on your adult improver podcast, <laughs> I would not be a welcome there for, for, for my own uh, shortcomings. But um, as a journalist, I do want to let you know, um, this is, uh, can I say breaking? Um, I don't have the full specifics, but I feel like I can gossip a little bit more on, on your show than I, than I can on the written pages of Chesscom. But um, a Norwegian media outlet today asked one of the high-ranking shakes, um, some question about uh, controversies about worldwide events being held in UAE, not taking a stance, but just asking the Sheikh for his opinion on uh, any controversies about events being held in, in the region. And uh, security came and confiscated their camera. Jeez. Uh, just for the, for the asking of the question. Um, wow. This was told to me first person by the member of the Norwegian media, somebody who I know from previous events and have no reason to believe would uh, not be telling the truth. But uh, yeah, I mean, I don't mind saying it. Um, we are in a police state. Um, I appreciate some of the things they've done. <laughs> um, there is an Israel uh, expo, uh, expo pavilion, by the way, uh, thanks to the normalization of relations with Israel. Um, so uh I, I did yell happy Hanukkah at the expo and I looked around waiting to be arrested. That didn't happen. <laughs> wow. <bold. laughs> um, but uh, yeah, I don't, I don't know what else to say. No, I, I do. I do want to clarify something. Every single person I've had an interaction with outside of the security at the expo has been a delight. Um, it is mostly foreign workers, as you might guess. Um, however, uh, I was hosted, you could say, by the Dubai Chess Club. They took us all over the city uh, helped us film all kinds of features and things. Um, they even paid for like all the little incidentals about this little impromptu tour. Um, had a great chat with uh, 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 Salam Saleh today, the, the number one player from UAE. Um, and uh, so you have to, I don't know, it, it's hard to uh, square the circle, so to speak, um, because the locals are incredibly nice, but uh, you can't forget the fact of, you know, the, uh, the 1984 nature of this place.
Interesting. Yeah, I'm that that it's good to hear that perspective because as I mentioned in the uh, first bonus pod, of course I have some FOMO for not being there. Um, it's not like you know no one was lining up at my door to fly me there anyway, so it would have been a, a um, steep hill to climb for me to get there. But when I was you know talking to Corbla, who's always entertaining in the first bonus pod, and on the next bonus pod we're going to have an interview with uh, National Master John MacArthur, who just came back from his sixth world championships actually already recorded. And he tells some great stories about like both this one and previous ones. So the FOMO was real for that, but kind of what you refer to about the police state is part of the reason I wasn't like, you know, hunkering down for the talk with my wife about skipping out to Buda to uh, Dubai. So it's glad to get it. It's good to get an even handed perspective, but we have another Twitter question related to the prior one. This one's from Greg Smith. Um, and he asks, he says, uh, do you know if there are more or fewer journalists and especially mainstream journalists I'm curious about than there were in London or New York for the last two world championships? Okay, good question. Uh, and right up my alley. If I can't answer that, nobody can. Um, my feeling is fewer. Um, in fact, there was a little bit of concern because the media room here only has 20 workstations, which at either of the previous world championships would have been far too few. Um it, it's just based on the size constraints of, of, of the particular layout, which is a little bit complicated to describe the layout. But um, it turns out the, some of the workstations have gone empty. Um, and so, I mean, you know, the first couple rounds, uh, it was a lot busier because a lot of the mainstream outlets will come out just for the first couple. Like I know Reuters was here for round one and they, they often come back for the final round, too. Um, but definitely fewer. London was a little bit more competitive getting a workstation. Um, and you were kind of, you know, sitting on top of each other, so to speak. Um, so the journalism core is less, um, and we're actually, we've brought more people this time. We have some chess.com employees and, you know, and friends of chess.com that have sort of come as fans and they're helping out a little bit. Um, but it's pretty cool this time because I actually have a videographer with me and, uh, I get to go around and film little features and things. Um, some of them are, uh, lighthearted and some of them are closer to being serious. Um, so, uh, I, I have a bigger team, but overall the number of total journalists, I think unequivocally has gone down and it's all, it's based on the location. It's based on COVID. I would say it's based on a lot of things, not, uh, not anything FIDE did wrong. In fact, I do want to say, uh, David Yada, who's been the press attache, the press officer, um, has been a delight to work with. He has so many competing interests um, so many media outlets that need something. Fide, of course, wants this and that. Uh, and he's done a really good job of uh, accommodating me and my requests and, and treating people fairly when he can. But he, he has a fairly thankless job. Um, so that should be noted that he's done so well. Yeah, shout out to David. Awesome photographer, by the way, as well. Um, and uh, we've got another question. This one is from my fellow chess podcaster, David Vizkin. And David asks, he says, uh, he, he saw a clip of Magnus's loss to Karyakin and you could hear the applause and gasps at the end of the game. So he's wondering how lively the scene is around the game. Okay. Good question. Um, you, uh, well, there's a hallway that you do not even need a chess ticket to get into. That's, that's kind of interesting. That's something that I should, I should probably bring up. Meaning yeah. if you just have a ticket to the expo, if you got into the expo in any way, um, you can be around a lot of chess. So you can sit and listen to Anna Muzichuk and Vichy Anand's commentary. Um, you can, uh, well, the Botez sisters are here. You can be a part of their show because it's all live. You can just jump in front of that camera. Uh, there are chess sets out. There's a giant chess set. Um, 
there's a um, a lounge from one of the rival websites. <laughs> um, I don't I don't actually know Pre- how you get in that lounge, but <laughs> previously discussed on the show. So, <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, I don't know how you get in that lounge, but I mean, I could walk in and say hi to Henrik, but I, you know, I, I respect that it's not uh, it's uh, beyond the the what is it the thirty sixth parallel? I was trying to name something historical, it didn't quite work. Um, but uh, yeah, so you only need a ticket to get in the room. Now the room itself is quiet and dark. Were it not for the darkness, you could actually can see the room from the player's table. So I've been inside the room that the players are playing in a couple of times, and you can see out, except when they dim the lights for the actual round. Um, you can bring cell phones in. I don't know if that's just because it's me, because I'm media, but um, I think even fans, actually, no, I don't think fans can bring cell phones in. Um, but there is clapping after each round, even on the draws. Um, the players can't hear any of that, but you can hear it from the uh, the spectator area. So uh, I would say a little bit more space, but they can't fill every seat because of COVID. Uh, it's like a proper auditorium type setup. Um, complete lack of alcohol, as you might guess. Um <laughs> Yeah, well, uh, you should break that down briefly, um, just for anyone listening who's still thinking about making the trip, because it's a uh, yeah, it's a little hard to to uh, pin down what exactly the rules are about alcohol in Dubai. Oh, okay, so I can't speak to that. Um, there's a duty free shop at the airport with pretty reasonable prices, and you are allowed four liters. <laughs> hmm. um, I picked up two liters in London and one more in Dubai when I realized my roommates had failed to do their duty and pick up a bottle. So to protect my two good bottles, I bought them a house bottle upon landing in Dubai. That's just tactics right there. Uh-huh. Um, now, um, I think it's pretty recent, but they now do actually have liquor stores in the city. Not a whole lot, but enough. Uh, you have to show your passport to prove you are not an Emirati uh, citizen. Um, and they actually scan your passport when you when you buy. I don't. Maybe there's a limit. I don't really know. Um, prices are not very competitive compared to the states, but you can get it um, when you're in the city. So, uh, but but best definitely best to pick up as much as you think you might want to drink at duty free. Um, it's just a, a way better bet. And actually, uh, hotels and bars you can actually get it at pretty much any restaurant. Um, Pretty expensive. It's probably Norway prices. In fact, the Norwegians are like, yeah, it's the same price as home. So if that tells you anything about the prices here. Wow. Um, the expo itself, I have not seen any alcohol at except, this is breaking news, not the most important breaking news. This is not news that your viewers can, your listeners can use. But um, I got access to the, the VIP room today before the round began, of course, on a little private tour. Um, it is where the high ranking shakes hang out. Um, there's talk in case Putin comes out. Of course, he gets to go to this oh, wow. room. And uh, there is there are some some bottles of wine there from a uh, vineyard in Bordeaux that has some connection to the Russian Chess Federation. I think Andre Filatov owns a vineyard in Bordeaux. I'm having trouble remembering all of the specifics, but apparently somebody packed these bottles of wine in their personal luggage, which is legal. You actually can put it in your luggage uh, and got them into the expo. I I realize I'm getting fairly pedantic here, but let's just tell your viewers, your listeners, I keep saying viewers, um, you're probably not going to drink anything at the expo, but you'll be okay in the rest of the city. Okay. 
All right, there you have it. Um, and Mike, we just have one more question and we are trying to keep these short, first of all, because you've been working all day. And second of all, because this is like a burn after listening type podcast, uh, you know, for for all the people commuting, unable to uh, to watch any of the coverage. Um, so this one is from friend of the pod, Brian Karen, who says, has the match inspired any fun master Mike instructive positions for your video ideas? Brian Karen, guess who's getting a holiday card from me? <laughs> <laughs> I think I'm Facebook friends with Brian. Uh, yeah, I'm always thinking of positions that I can show kids. In fact, there was a moment during round four where Danny Wrench, Robert Hess, and Fabiano were trying to come up with a name for this particular threefold repetition. And a lot of your listeners can visualize it. You've got a rook on the seventh, the enemy king's on the eighth, and your knight can toggle back and forth, checking the king perfectly, and the knight and the rook are a perfect distance apart. And I already had a chess kid video showing that exact idea. So I rushed to grab it and send it to my producers, but I don't think they got it on the show. Um, they, they actually ended up calling it the pendulum, which is a pretty brilliant name, actually. Um, so yeah, but I'm always thinking about positions I can harvest and then show on Chess Kid. Um, I'm actually kind of running out of thematic ideas to group into a nice little lesson, but I have a feeling that there's going to be some sort of world championship uh, compendium video that I'll end up doing. Um, and I just want to give one more thing, because my job as a journalist, one more thing that your listeners probably don't know. When Jan Nepomneshi is away from the board, he's been away from the board a lot in rounds four and five, there's actually a TV in his break room showing the moves which is something that the players lobbied for, um, even though it may not be great to witness because you have empty chairs a lot. But uh, that's something that your listeners may not know about by watching any of the broadcasts. The players can go camp out in their rooms and see when the next move has been made. So uh, that was a kind of a neat behind the scenes thing that it, I don't know if it's been mentioned on any of the broadcasts yet. Yeah, Tanya Sachdia from uh, Chess24 did do a little behind the scenes thing where you could see the room. So I saw that. I'm not sure about the broadcast, but it is an important point to highlight because it does, especially to like a newer chess fan, it looks crazy like this, you know, high stakes event and like someone's always missing from the board. Um, but the rooms are just too nice. I mean, if I if I could like when I was playing some weekend tournament, if I could go chill in my own little private room with like snacks and stuff and a TV, I'd be all over it as well. So what what can you say? Yeah, I was told by uh, uh, Napomnishi's handlers that he kind of likes the luxury treatment. And I did try to ask him one question about this, but he demurred and said, look, I'm here to play chess. I don't care about the fancy cars and the nice hotel rooms of this town. But but I, I don't know. I mean, Ben, you lived in Russia. You know how they like the finer things. So I don't think he's eaten the cheap caviar this this uh, month. But uh, anyway, yeah. To have a, and they, by the way, they have their own private bathroom, too. They each have their own bathroom. So they can go hang out there, too. Um, but, uh, yeah, anyway, it's, uh, it's neat to be here. And I do hope some of your listeners, if they do come out, they come say hi. And, uh, yeah, that's the scene from Dubai. Awesome. Yeah. And we should mention, by the way, Mike still showing his writing chops has an article in the new, uh, December issue of chess life magazine. For those of you in the United States, be sure to check for that. I, en I enjoyed that article, Mike. Thanks. Yeah. It, uh, Essay, I should say really. Yeah. Yeah. It's probably the first article I've written that has no chess in it. Even the biographies <laughs> I've done of players, we put a, you know, a perfunctory mention of their best move or whatever, but, uh, I enjoyed writing it. It's very reflective. Somebody on Twitter called it spooky. I'm not sure. <laughs> Shout but, out to Todd Bryant. Yeah. Uh, I was very reflective as I think we all were during COVID, right? If you weren't self reflective, I don't know what you were doing with your life. So 
Yeah. Excellent. All right. Well, Mike, you're on Twitter. You're on Chess Kid. You're on Chess.com. Is there, are those the main places people should uh, keep up with your content as well as the Chess.com broadcast, of course? Yeah. If you can't find me, that's on you, not me. Um, but uh, <laughs> I've actually got FunMasterMike.com. A lot of people are like, hey, my kid loves you. How can they interact with you? I do some occasional group lessons. And I also will make a video of your child's best game. Nice holiday gift. Now, Vishy Anand is the only chess player on Cameo.com. And I, I'm trying to get on Cameo, but uh, I haven't gotten there yet. That's where you can, wow. like, you know. That's an amazing idea. Yeah. For the listeners who don't know Cameo, basically you can order little videos from people. First of all, it's brilliant that Vichy is on there. But yeah, you might make a killing on there. Uh, I just want a platform that takes away all of the scheduling. The killing part is secondary. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, it'd be, it'd be nice to make some of that uh, that Benny the Bank coin. Um, <laughs> no, I should I, I, I should close by saying, uh, you know, chess.com and chess kid has been like a dream job and they treat me really well. And uh, I'm just I'm really lucky that I just get to tell my employer like, hey, I'm going to Dubai. And they're like, yeah, OK, we, yeah, that's that's good for the company. Let's do that. Uh, so, yeah. Awesome. Well, we're glad to have you there. And thanks for joining the pod, Mike. Thanks for having me, Ben. Great to be back. Podcast Network. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, avoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.